just before we get into it, I need to ask you guys, are you feeling thirsty? I've got you covered. This episode is sponsored by Beer 52 and they're offering a free case of eight craft beers sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash fig and cover the £5.95 for postage. That's eight beers for the £5.95 postage, which I think is a bloody good deal. So head over to beer52.com forward slash fig to join the monthly beer club and you can cancel any time you like. That's beer52.com forward slash fig. This podcast is also sponsored by footballindextrader.co.uk, the best site for in-depth scouting and trading strategy. For the first time, you can now check out a free tour of the members' content before you sign up. Just go to the homepage and click on the Take the Tour button to see a whole month of player scouting from this season and some sample members' articles too. As an exclusive offer for podcast listeners, you can give the site a try with a 25% discount on your first month with code FIG25. So that's over on footballindextrader.co.uk and the code is FIG25. Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 138. Today I'm joined by two debutants. First up, Stanners FI. How are you doing, mate? Hello. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure, mate. Why don't you go into your Football Index journey and tell us a bit more about yourself? So I've been on the platform since March 2019, so about 15 months. I think it was the day after the share split. Mate at work was showing me in the run-up to the share split his portfolio and how many players he had and how they were rising all the time. And I thought, this sounds like a bit of me. Decided to jump on board. Started off quite small, as I think most people do. It's probably quite sensible. I actually had £50. I remember buying two Jaden Sanchos and that was £10 of my £50 and thinking, wow, you know, that's 20% of my portfolio of Jaden Sancho. Of course, now he's £14. It, that was a <laughs> pretty good move at the time and I've topped up a lot since. But 15 months, £50 to start with. I've been one of these people who sort of regularly topped up. So most paydays I add in, obviously picked up a lot of dividends on the way. I think a lot of people have probably seen me on Twitter as being a, a bit of a media man. Mm. Call myself the media mogul. <laughs> <laughs> media mogul by night, right? Yeah, media mogul by night. Data analyst by day. So yeah, on that point, I'm a mechanical engineer by trade. Got a degree and work for an automotive company. So I do a lot of data analysis. Very competent in Excel, which I think has, has helped me definitely on the media side of things but on the pb stuff as well it's been a lot of fun i've managed to get a few friends to sign up probably not as many as i'd have liked for the referral bonus but yeah it's great awesome you're not the only debutant we've got on board today football index minor how's it going mate yeah very well thanks thanks for having me thank you very much for joining why don't you go into your football index journey well yeah i've been a part of fi for best over two years now i started off very small i remember signing off our friend neutral friend bonds got me into it <laughs> You're using the term friend very loosely there, aren't you? <laughs> no, it's a good friend, Bonza. I remember selling Doctor Who cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards, which I had since a kid, and got about eight, £900 together and put them the index to start me off. And um, when I got going, I was at uni. So I've been part for a while. I've been slowly growing the port to go up. I've been started working for the last three months as an accountant. Unfortunately, been furloughed, so I've been managing to increase the deposits a lot more. Probably the last six months, I've doubled my portfolio value, which has been good for me not through just trades as well but also through deposits 
yeah, I'm going with the journey. I've been here since I've joined, seen IPDs, share split, two dip increases, potentially three actually, I can't even remember. But yeah, it's been a good journey and I'm here for the long run. Awesome. It's great to have two debutants on at the same time. I don't know when the last time that's happened and we've got loads and loads of questions. For a bit, I was like, oh, we're not getting really any questions. Then when I put the document together that I sent to all guests with all the questions, I was like, oh, crap, there might be too many here. We'll see how we get on. Might have to cull a few on the way. But just before we get into it, I need to remind you guys that I did recently start a Patreon. If you don't know what it is, it's where content creators create premium bonus and behind the scenes content for their audience. In my case, I'll be trying to add more and more value to help traders profit more on their football index journeys by adding as much insight as I can. So there's three pound tier where you get the podcast early with an extra five minutes of the podcast where I ask the traders every week the same five questions over and over, which is all great fun. And you get the podcast up to 24 hours earlier. For the five pound tier, you get a monthly blog post from myself, the kind of state of play of the market kind of talking about about how my strategy has evolved and what I'm doing. Of course, this isn't going to be like a tipping players kind of thing. And also an extra 15 minutes podcast every month detailing what I predict the markets do in the next month and also a bit of behind the scenes content. And then the £8 a month tier is the Discord chat, which is growing phenomenally well. I'm really excited about that. Loads of people really enjoying it. So it's a chat with loads of traders and other patrons and We'll be doing some great Q&As there, had a Q&A with SOTD, so getting in Figcast guests into the Discord to answer further questions, which is always great fun. And then the £12 tier, I'll be doing webinars alongside elite traders on the platform, so masterclasses on certain things such as how to use the matching engine properly, how to use data in your trading, etc, etc. And they're going to be done once a month, which will be great fun. So loads of different perks for loads of different budgets and loads of different styles of traders so you can head over to patreon.com forward slash fi guide for more information and join a growing community at the fig patreon so that's patreon.com forward slash fi guide first off we've got some miscellaneous questions who would you say would be the biggest mb king in the history of football and stannis i'll let you go up first because you're the self-proclaimed media mogul by <laughs> night yeah i saw this question post actually i thought it was a good question I think you've got kind of two avenues, really. You've got the world beta footballs, your Pele's and Maradona's. Imagine if we could go back to that era and see how much media those guys would pick up, let alone the in-play dividends they'd pick up for their goals. Pele, Maradona, R9, some of those players would just pick up so much media, I think. Just as Messi and Ronaldo do, I think when you're at that elite level, you're bound to get spoken about. In my opinion, there's none better than Pele. I honestly think he'd be up there. I gave it a little bit more thought and I thought, actually, I think it will be someone who's just in the public eye all the time. And I think it'd have to be Golden Balls himself, David Beckham. Just the sort of career he had, the way he sort of broke into the game, his personal life, you know, marrying a Spice Girl. He just was a media magnet, wasn't he? He still is. You know, if he was on the index now, I'd probably buy him, even though he doesn't play. Um, <laughs> just because I think he would pick up so much media. Yeah, I mean, there's stories of Sir Alex, like, pulling up outside his house, making sure he's asleep and all that jazz and also like if he was I don't know like it's always a hard question isn't it if Beckham was playing football right now with social media and everything that we've got going around us he would dominate wouldn't he yeah I don't think anyone would come close to him really I think he could literally almost win it every day just type his name in Google today and you get hits from today and that's just you know any day of the week there's an article with David Beckham he's just an icon really isn't he he really is isn't he I mean buying football clubs these days in Miami it's not a hard life is it Minor, what about you? I'm just going to go with Beckham. He's probably the biggest English superstar ever. 
last yeah, four pretty years. Much. It fits the mold, doesn't he? Of everything you need. Every haircut as well. Talk about the Spice Girls. Everything he has is just little stuff like that as well. He just would have cleaned up, in my opinion, I think. England captain for a period as well. Imagine a media off that Greece free kick. Probably would have won it for like a week straight. <laughs> <laughs> David Beckham all round, then it looks like. Could you imagine, though, if England won the World Cup, how much sort of Harry Kane on that would get? I'm a West Ham fan, so I was thinking about it. And, you know, Bobby Moore in 66. Imagine if you could go to, for, for those few months, how much England players would have been spoken about. Obviously, Beckham didn't quite manage it with England when he was captain. But if Kane was to captain England to some sort of glory in any tournament, I think the media would just go crazy for weeks, if not months. Mm, I do think that these next two tournaments that we see could be really interesting in terms of MB, couldn't they? Yeah, high hopes for England. Yeah, of course, after the last amazing showing. <laughs> Forever delusional. Yeah, slight bit of delusion there, yeah, I guess. Jordan K, how much do you both think your daytime jobs provide you with an edge? If they do, how do you implement these into your trading? Stan, as you mentioned, you're a data analyst. Yes, that's right. I analyze an awful lot of data as part of my job. So, I mean, that side of things definitely helps. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I think the beauty is there's so much data available to us with FI, you know, Index Gain, Index Edge, all, all of these parties that can offer the data to us. But how many people can actually go in there and make any sense of it? You know, I see a lot of people who just sort of go on the same sort of statistics. They just filter for price, age, PB average and things. But there's so much more science behind it that I think people don't really delve into. You can find some real gems if you know what you're doing and, and how to look for it. I'm able to cut the data quite a few ways, overlay quite a few different things. I'm not saying it always works, but I have managed to pick up some real gems. I think my best one is probably Brendio. I remember doing some analysis this time last year when he was in the championship, picked him up for 50p or something, and now he's £2.50 or something like that, you know. And I'd never seen him play. That was based just on doing some research on sort of championship players and, and analysing that league. It's definitely advantageous. I would say anyone can do it. There's some great data out there. Just start having a look. I think over the, you know, the football shutdown, a lot of people have done that. I've seen a lot of, you know, players who do pop up in a lot of analysis being purchased on FI Twitter, you see it all the time. So, yeah, I think people are pretty good at analysing now, to be honest with you. Awesome. We've got a few questions about your background, Miner. Being an accountant, does that help? In reality, I probably wouldn't say it doesn't help that much. But, you know. I thought you were going to say it makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to say it helps. You do testing on financial statements and kind of test the verify for material misstatement. You don't really create your own data models or analyze data in a sense the way that standards would. It's more that you're looking for what doesn't fit. Besides from using Excel and obviously spending a lot of time with numbers, I wouldn't really say, apart from being a bit more competent with looking at data, but I would say the bulk of the job, no, I wouldn't really say it does. I'd say it's not the hardest thing to learn how to look at data. I wouldn't say you have to have a job like this to be very good at it. You know, you can always learn. And like you said, there's a lot of good data out there. I bet you whip up a mean spreadsheet though. Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm learning, I'm learning. I'm still <laughs> got... <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. Like I said, I've only been doing it for two months properly before the COVID kicked off. I still have all my training sheets and stuff. I'm still getting to grips with uh, mastering pivot tables and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I'm getting there. Getting stronger by the day. I joined Index Gain around the same time, and Index Gain has been a fantastic source of data for me as well. That's really helped in my progression as well, in finding players and also making those links. Awesome. FI Tonic has a question here saying, is being an accountant boring? And I think you said this was your favourite question, didn't you? (laughs) It was up there, yeah. Maybe laugh at least, because I think when people think of accounting, it's probably the first thing you think of, it's boring. 
they're not too wrong in thinking it, but um, but like I said, I just started out. I'm young. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying getting to learn something new. So I've still got that fire in my belly. You're in the honeymoon period. Yeah, quite. <laughs> um, like I said, I've done it for two months. I've had just over two months off now, so <laughs> it hasn't been overwhelming. Fi owl, are we living in a simulation? Yeah, I saw this one come through. I kind of hope not. If we are, the person controlling me should probably try and do a better job. <laughs> a bit more practice. This is the virtual sims. I don't think we are living in a simulation. It's like when you see uh, Men in Black, and they open the locker at the end of the movie. They're all just living in the locker. <laughs> that always makes me laugh. Well, that's what I question. That's the first thing I thought of. I mean, I've been watching Westworld, so that's kind of been at the tip of my mind. The kind of automating robots and, and all that kind of jazz. Who knows? Maybe. You never know. Ignorance is bliss. Exactly. As long as you enjoy it. F.I. Hunter, do you think the world will ever be ruled in the future by killer spiders the size of poodles? So for context, for those that you don't regularly listen to the Fitcast Extra or the Pandacast, as some of you have coined it on a Thursday evening, Sporting Panda said something along the lines of how he thinks jumping spiders are the most vicious creatures on planet Earth. And I quote, if they were poodle sized, they'd rule the world. I don't know if you guys have any opinions on this. No way. No, no opinions. I mean, I appreciate this is supposed to be a podcast about Football Index, but here we are. I think they've been watching too much Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. They've got yeah. oversized spiders, haven't they? The brain's biggest weapon. <laughs> Fair play. Not massive venomous fangs, then. I hope you can conquer those with your brain. <laughs> Before we move on, Minor, I think you mentioned Index Gain, and I need to plug them quickly. You guys can use the code FIG2020 to get five quid off your first month over on indexgain.co.uk. But if you go for their semi-annual plan, you get one month free and an extra five pounds off with the code FIG2020. That's F-I-G 2020-2020. They've got amazing reports. Personally, I love using the overs report to see how many times a player has scored over a certain score, which is always really useful to me to try and predict winners in the future. So check them out, FIG2020 over on indexgain.co.uk. Well, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about the Q&A now, guys. <laughs> there was a lot of disgruntled users in the Football Index Twitter community. Probably rightly so. I mean, F.I. Mulder has a question here. Are you concerned by Adam Cole's comment that the main thrust of the MB review will be the quality of sources rather than the underlying issues of illogical sentiment scoring? and the surname-only articles not being detected. Stannis, I'm going to go to you, the media mogul here. What were your thoughts on some of those comments? A little bit mixed, if I'm being honest. I think some people get very frustrated by the media aspect of FI, but they don't really play the game. I must admit, when I first joined, I was a little bit confused by the media, how it worked, how the point system works. If you actually understand how it works, there's actually some very easy money to be made there. If we take a look at Ronaldo over the past three months since the football shutdown, he's returned nearly 25% of his price in three months and he hasn't kicked a football. That's such easy money. I didn't hold before the football shutdown, as I like to call it. But within a few days of just media days, it was the double dividends at first and then obviously the five-place media. I realise you just got to buy in. So I think some people just get so hung up on media as it is at the minute. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's perfect at all. I think adding quality sources would make it much better. I'd love to see sources like The Athletic be added, some real sort of premium quality sources. There's a lot of clickbait. I know people get annoyed with a couple of the lower end broadcasters, let's say, some of the clickbait they just throw out there. And it is frustrating, but at the end of the day, you know... It's the news, isn't it? It's the news, exactly. And if they're going to win me 5p for a Ronaldo story that Ian Holloway wants to make a comment about him, you know, 
I'll take the 5p and run. <laughs> <laughs> All day. For me, like, I don't know, I saw that comment and I looked at it thinking, like, what would be left? I mean, the BBC, Sky Sports, The Times, <laughs> if they added The Athletic, what would there actually be? And then during the summer as well, you know, let's not even start getting into that territory when there's no football on. Like, the guys that are probably filling up those RSS feeds most are the likes of The Express, The Daily Star and so on and so forth. So, Mina, what about your thoughts here? I think it's important to remember that I think Adam Cole's response was kind of in the response of what he saw in the survey mm. about media. And I feel like people give him a bit of a hard time, but I feel like he's generally put out that survey, seeing that people kind of get a bit peed off with how the scoring works. And that's why they're going to have a media review. It's not to say that they will take away the tabloids. They look into it. I'm not 100% for the confidence of the last 7% old thing went down. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I prefer stability. I feel like FI just needs to get some clear, definitive rules down and just keep these rules for the next two, three years. Yeah, I think that was probably where most of the anger came from and disappointment last night, don't you think? I mean, it wasn't the fact that there could be change. It's the fact that, like, you know, if, if something's going to change, just tell us. And they might not know, but by leaving every single door open, that uncertainty just kills confidence, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, and they did the last, what, PB change, what, how many days or what, weeks before start of the season, which is, you know, it's not ideal. You know, when you're basing like 70, 80% of your portfolio based off PB statistics from the season and whatever, and then the PB matrix changes, it keeps changes, or like standards, you go into extensive MB and it changes. It's just frustrating because you feel like if this increases the trading, increases your commission on players that you're planning to hold for longer. Like I said, I do sympathize because I feel like people respond to the survey he's just kind of giving his opinion i'm sure they'll look into it and try and find the best solution going forward and if it's not the best solution i'm sure they'll get the feedback to tell them that people aren't happy as well as that, i think there is some easy fixes that they could do you know fbi traded did some great work showing how easy it is to fix the naming stuff first name surname thing i think a couple of players don't don't even pick up on accents i think i saw him ranting about navigator today yeah and things like that is crazy isn't it it's really really poor I really do share their frustrations on that one. That is pretty inexcusable, I think. You know, that's such simple fixes to make. It's just picking up a name. That was my main concern. I think I vented in the survey. And I'm pretty sure I saw someone, I can't remember who did some data, but they posted on Twitter about the amount of MB certain players miss out on due to their like first name or second name basis or accents. And it was crazy the amount of players who don't pick up the media they should. But then saying that the system the way it is, is the way it is, and you can kind of use that to identify who's going to win. It is the way it is. You must want to make the use of it while you can. Yeah, I think for me, I don't know, Stan, as I was going to ask a follow-up question, you know, if you were fixing MB, what would be your kind of first three steps? First three steps, yeah, I would 100% fix the naming thing. It's easy to do and it annoys people so much. I mean, that's clear to tell. I think I would also cap how many articles a certain channel can provide in one day or a maximum number of points. You know, I've seen the Daily Express contribute. It's effectively the same article 10 times throughout the day all picking up 20, 30 points and it keeps scoring. I think some sort of cap on that would be good from, you know, each outlet. And then thirdly, you know, I think they do need to try and uh, reach out to some more of the foreign media. It's not difficult to do. There's some really good foreign media sites. If we're talking about, you know, expanding to different territories, surely we've got to pick up on foreign media as well. So identifying some good foreign media sources and adding them in as well, I think would be really beneficial as well. Well, you've teared me up, actually, because Trawlers for Ballers does have a question about foreign territories. He says, Adam Cole said that UK users won't be impacted by any 
non-pooled offering in other territories. Are you worried that the UK users might still be funding marketing plans abroad that they don't directly benefit from? Minor, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, sure. From our perspective, the most ideal solution would be pool liquidity. There's no doubt about that. Everyone wants more money going into their market. Would a non-pooled offering be end of the world or something to worry about? I don't really think so. I think if FI could prove that it can expand into another market and successfully grow there, it's going to be very big for FI as a company. And the stronger FI is financially as a company, the more I think every user will benefit in the long run. So I don't think people should look into it too much. No one can see the financials behind Built Index. No one quite knows how the expansion is going to work, whether it'll be done with investment drummed up or whether it'll be used with existing profits. So I think it's something I wouldn't really worry too much about. The index is still doing very well and it's not like the people on the market are suffering right now. I'm all for any expansion, but obviously pooled is ideal. I personally don't understand non-pooled, right? Let's say they open up in like Romania and they need a new platform. They need people that speak the language there. So that's a new set of customer service team. They need engineers likely to monitor that platform, et cetera, et cetera. You're basically replicating how much work you've got here with another platform. Now let's 10x that in terms of how many territories they might go into that might not be pulled. And suddenly you get yourself in a situation where you might have to have loads and loads and loads of staff and make your product a bit harder to scale. I personally don't understand why Football Index would want to go from a business standpoint, this isn't even from a trader standpoint, to a territory where they can't have pooled liquidity. I mean, if I look at Betfair, Bet365 and other gambling companies who have kind of freely gone into other territories, I mean, obviously in the past when regulations were less tight, I don't see why FI can't eventually get to a point where there are multiple territories with pooled liquidity. I think even the, the CTO mentioned on the podcast where he was on the official FI podcast, he was talking about them creating a multi-currency platform. Now, for me, that didn't really make sense if you're not going to have pooled liquidity, correct? I don't know. There's a load of things that just confuse me when it comes to the expansion into other territories. Standards, I don't know if you've got any other thoughts there. I personally hope they're far just being cautious with the pooled, non-pooled. They have a master plan to make it pooled like we all want, you know, some sort of mega FI. But it's just the logistics of doing that. And obviously, it's a lot of legal barriers to go through. I'm hoping that they're just kind of trying to be a bit coy on it. They don't want to give us false hope and then have to backtrack is what I'm hoping. On the bit about the money going abroad, I'm not too worried. I think as a brand, if they go abroad, it can only strengthen it, which it can only be a good thing for the product long term. I don't think they're going to you know, run off with our money and spend it somewhere else. I think they know this is always going to be the probably the core of the business is the UK market. If they can add to it, excellent. You know, We've seen a lot of great marketing from the company over the last few months. I think any expansion would be welcomed. For me, to kind of comment on a few other things, I think that leaving the door open to so many different things, I think I've talked about like drawing a line in the sand on this podcast on numerous occasions. And I think this did the exact opposite. Do you guys think that he, as the CEO, should be talking about anything that isn't definitive? Because for me, the matching engine, although it was a day or two late, they came out and they said, this is happening. There isn't like a oh, well, the matching engine might go out on this date. This is happening on this date. Sure, there was a delay of a couple of days, but it was delivered. And I think that when you don't set expectations and don't kind of feed hope to customers in a not purposely false way, but maybe inadvertently, then I think you set yourself up to fail to some extent. I'm wondering what you guys think. Do you think they should only come out with things when they have a definitive plan 
set in stone of what they're going to do. I'd rather a PB Matrix change happen two weeks before the season starts if they come out two weeks prior to that and say, this is definitely happening on this date. I know where I stand, even if I hate it. Right now, I don't know if there's going to be a PB Matrix change, if there's going to be an MB Matrix change, what those two changes are going to look like. I don't really even know how the IPO system is going to work. I think he mentioned that IPOs are going to happen under the old system, but they want to get the new system in place. Like, what does that new system look like? There's just so many unknowns at the moment. And I think uncertainty is not great. I mean, I can kind of couple that with, on the other hand, three months ago, we were in the situation where there was no football. COVID was at its peak in the UK in terms of fear, maybe not in terms of infections. And we were in kind of uncertain times, both in FI and in the world. Now it's obviously in a far stronger place. But uncertainty really doesn't breed confidence. And I don't know if you guys had any final thoughts on just some of the things that I've talked about there. Of course, clarity is the most important thing for the business, for confidence-wise, for traders' confidence. You know, like I said, if I thought I came out and said, we're going to do this and this on this date for these PBM and MB major changes, and this would be the system for the next two years, I think that would be good for the index to just have that standard set down and have like kind of guidelines when there'll be reviews. I think the way he kind of approaches it is that Football Index is kind of unique in the way that the users are perceived because you wouldn't voice your concerns of like a cleaning product to the CEO if you thought it was, wasn't doing well. It's kind of the sense that even though we're gambling users, it's almost a sense as like we're shareholders in FI as well and that we have a bit more of a say in what goes on in the running of the company. And I think Adam Cole does try to provide that and they want to try and find a product what fits people's expectations rather than dictating what to do. Like you said, there's kind of like a lot of lollygagging and they say they'll do it this date and it's delayed. And like you said, like to have uncertainty over the PB changes and B changes and the IPO system to be largely not working for I don't know how long. And those being the three main components of FI, which create and drive value. It's not great, but you know, the company's still young. I think they're still learning. It's hard to say to tell them how, to, how they should go about their operations and how they should run their announcements. I'm sure sometimes they come in with a lot of confidence and clarity thinking, yes, this is going to be the day we've got everything sorted and then it just doesn't happen. And it's just, I'm sure they hate that as well because it makes them look bad and they know it's embarrassing. I'm sure there's a few people get a pretty kick up the arse at the company. It would be better to see FI get more serious and more reliable with these sort of things. I think Adam is just quite excited by the product. I think he's a CEO, but he's he's actually a fan of the product as well, isn't he? It's not like he's a CEO who's been bought in. You know, I work for a massive blue chip company and everything from the top is always very formal, shirt and tie in front of a camera. This minute, this time it happens. It's scripted, it's said, and it's closed. With FI, it's part of the beast of being a startup, isn't it? You've got to take the good and the bad. Everyone loves the good aspects of it being a startup. You know, a lot of people have made some really good money and stuff. I think we've just got to take this with it. It can be frustrating and some of it doesn't come across too well. But I think deep down, Adam just wants to share as much with us as he can, as early as he can. I think if he was to do it, you know, more traditionally, we would just know a lot less. Maybe some people would prefer. But, you know, I think he just likes to build excitement around the product a bit. No doubt. We've got a question here from FIFPL Addict. What's your thoughts on PB scores when other leagues return? The other three leagues will be behind the German league in fitness and minutes played and therefore PB's scores lower potentially at the start. Do you know what other leagues are doing regarding the number of subs? On that last question, I've got no clue. I presume they might follow the German league, but that's an interesting question, isn't it? Minor, I don't know if you've got any thoughts. Do you think if those things overlap, the German league might have an edge? No, I don't think so at all. I can't imagine... BBA players or Prem players coming back and having slightly worse PB scores due to fitness. If anything, 
every game played in the Bundesliga, I think, reduces the short-term value of Bundesliga players. So I wouldn't actually be looking to buy Bundesliga players until about three, four games, so I'd probably be buying on dips. So I'm not sure how many games are left. We've got about, what, how many games they got? About six, maybe less? Yeah. Maybe a bit more? The time BVA and Prem kicks off, the time Prem kicks off, for example, the BVA could have about three games left, four games left in the league, and everyone's going to want to, so everyone's going to start selling. So I wouldn't worry about fitness. I'd more worry about the short-term value of the league you're looking to buy into. Yeah, I think we're already seeing that shift, aren't we, from German PB players? A lot of people piling out, piling into Premier League players. I think what'll be interesting is that first gold day that we're all waiting for to see how the leagues perform. But you know, fitness works for the attackers and for the defenders. You might see some really sloppy defending, which you know might lead to some massive forward and midfielder scores as well. So I think you can argue it both ways. With the number of subs, I don't think anyone knows. I, I did have a, a quick look. Doesn't seem to be anything definitive. They can't really agree on too much at the minute, can they? So I would like to see five subs, if I'm being honest. I think it would give a lot of young players on the index a run out, which would be interesting as well. I think we will see a lot more rotation, I feel. Most leagues will follow the five subs. And, you know, the team's winning 3-0 when they got a game in four days against another top six club. They're most likely to use all five subs and be taking off their five best players if the game is won. So they might be limited on peak scores. So it might be some better opportunities to win on goal days as well with not such impressive scores. Yeah. I mean, Sancho, everyone said he looked a bit fat, you know, was coming on as a sub. <laughs> Started one and banged a hat-trick, didn't he? How quickly things change over a couple of weeks. Well, just before we get into some more questions, I need to remind you guys that today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. They're a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage. They feature football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein, James Lear, Sam Lee and Rafa Honigstein. David Ornstein specifically has been breaking a lot of the Premier League return ideas and the project return, whatever you want to call it, news. So he's definitely a must-follow. They're telling stories you won't find anywhere else with no ads or clickbait, just great sports writing. And for 50% off your annual subscription the best sports writing around that I truly believe it is go to theathletic.co.uk slash fig it's £2.49 a month for their annual deal and it's not too expensive at all I don't know Mino have you been buying anything for £2.49 recently? <laughs> Maybe a lighter I don't know can of coke and a lighter that's pretty much about it just trips to the corner shop a can of coke and a lighter for £2.49 <laughs> Stanners anything that you've been buying that's a bit more exciting than a can of coke? Not really. During lockdown, I bought a dog, so I bought a few oh. dog toys for around about the £2.49 mark. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. What type? A uh, lockdown dog. A little cavapoo. <laughs> thought that was some sort of weird breed, a lockdown dog. Yeah. <laughs> we'll move on before this descends into another kind of wildlife animal type or pet <laughs> style podcast. FI Kingpin, what's their ideas on the potential of the UK market that FI can exploit? And I know Adam Cole said in the Q&A that they want to 10x in the next two years. I don't know exactly what's that specific to, whether or not it's 10x the amount of users or money in the market, etc. But that was pretty exciting and that they have their most aggressive marketing budget ever this summer. So any ideas for what else they can do in the UK, Minor? Well, I think recently it's known that a lot of that advertising is, as we can see, it's during football, it's during games, it's during adverts between games. And while football's not really been on, that's not really been stretching. Whether they want to advertise during COVID is something else. As far as it goes, I'm not an expert in marketing by any degrees. You know, I remember when I first joined FI, I was excited when I saw an FI advert on the tube. <laughs> you know, and I saw, I was like, oh, I was like, oh wow, I took a little picture of it. <laughs> I was like, no way. And now we're seeing on black cabs, on Nottingham Forest's kit. And this is within the space of, I think, less than two years. So I think Adam Cole, you know, he, I think he did marketing at university, someone said. <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe someone's taking the piss and I've just, <laughs> just taken it, embarrassed myself. Oh, 
I've got no idea, honestly, mate. Fake news. <laughs> fake news, fake news. So I can't preach too much to different advertising tactics, but I feel like they're getting a spot on. I feel like every year they kind of announce it's like their new biggest advertising strategy and they keep bringing in new members, which is always a bonus. I can't really contribute much else on that. I personally think the potential is huge. You know, I remember joining like 15 months ago and thinking, have I missed the boat? You know, I think everyone thinks that when they join, have I missed the boat? Are they already this price, that price? And you quickly realise that actually, you know, Adam said yesterday, there's a six figure of active paying users. So that puts us somewhere between what 100,000 and 999,000. So it's a broad range. But if you compare that to, you know, some of the big boys like, you know, Skybet, Coral, Bet365 and that, they're well into the seven figures of active users. So 10 times growth from a six-figure number could well put us into a seven-figure number. So maybe Adam's right. A lot of my friends still just do the old weekend hackers. I can't seem to persuade them otherwise. They like, you know, just ticking six boxes and putting on five pounds and hoping they win 12 grand. You know, that still appeals to a large audience. And you can do both. I personally still do both. I think it's just trying to bring those people over. The marketing strategy will be key to that for sure. Yeah, I think there's loads of things they can do in the UK that isn't as London-centric, maybe. I think there's a lot of that that FI can maybe exploit. I mean, I know that, for example, the Nottingham Forest sponsorship has done amazingly well for them. Maybe there's something that they can maybe leverage there. I know they've got the Fulham training kit and that kind of partnership there. But, you know, Manchester, Birmingham, massive footballing cities. There's no reason FI shouldn't try and exploit these as well. So for me, it'd be maybe becoming a little bit less London-centric if they were to exploit, quote-unquote, more of the UK market. I think it's looking pretty positive. FI Venture C, what proportion of the new current growth at the moment, especially seen in the top end, would you attribute to A, new users, and B, current users depositing more? Do you think we're seeing a huge increase in use at the moment? I think there might be a C there in old users that have kind of left and then coming back. What did you think? I don't think there's been a lot of new users joining during COVID, if I'm being honest. I feel like the majority of the rise would have been people taking money out from a few months back from worries and maybe some money leaving the market and maybe people stopped depositing. And now the matching end and the media man has kind of triggered on these waves and a bit more confidence and the money's kind of returning to the football index. I'd be shocked if, obviously there's no way of telling, but I'd personally be shocked if they've had a new influx of new members during the last two months or so. Yeah. Particularly as they've turned off their marketing, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. If you're getting new users with no marketing, then <laughs> I don't think you'd be doing your biggest ever one next year, would you? I think they have been getting some new users. I mean, if I look at the kind of numbers I'm getting on the podcast, the YouTube subscribers, the Twitter following, I think all of that's kind of ticked, not amazingly up, but it's ticked along. And I think that word of mouth is still probably the best marketing tool out there. But F5 obviously stopped their kind of digital marketing activities. I do think there are some new users and a lot of people that have come in. I do think there are obviously current users that kind of bought into the discount idea and bought into more players. I think uh, SOTD was talking about that last week on the podcast, how he genuinely believed he wanted to buy more players at that point. So yeah, here we are. A lot of those traders have done that and some who left pre-COVID have probably come back thinking that was a good opportunity. I was exactly the same. I did a big data review about a few weeks after the big crash after COVID and I was looking at a lot of prices and I decided that I borrowed a bit of money as well to do an extra deposit during my time and I bought for the first time MB premium players plays like Ronaldo and Messi and Pogba Kane and that's yeah that sort of stuff and I was lucky to ride the 20 plus dividends for Ronaldo. The drops did create a lot of opportunities there are a lot of players I can get I had the data up on my laptop 
of just some of the prices. And there was just some players who were just crazy cheap. So I probably deposited the most I ever had during this COVID period. We had the deposit bonus as well, didn't we? The 8.25%, which was quite nice. Actually, to be honest with you, financially, I would say, and I'm sure this isn't the case for many people, some people have probably been hit quite hard by COVID, but financially, I'm better off. I haven't been going out spending any money. So I've actually been depositing more than I would have been able to normally because I'd have been doing some other things and spending money elsewhere that I now have available. So I think there's actually been some of that. Speaking to a couple of friends, one of my friends put in £1,000 yesterday on Trent that he said he wouldn't have had at the end of a normal month. And he just banged it all into Trent. So I, I think there has been a lot of current users depositing more. They're taking advantage of that. It's not like you're going to Spain this summer, is it? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> you never know, but it's probably unlikely. <laughs> FBI trader, who I think, Stan, is your uh, good pal of in the media mogul world. What do you both feel is a good way to analyse sentiment and momentum on FI? With traders switching rapidly from Bundesliga to EPL players after a rise, do you think there is a risk that they could be sacrificing optimal long-term profits for short-term FOMO? I really like FBI. He does some really good stuff on Twitter. I think he's 100% spot on here. I see it a lot. So much FOMO. People have been spending all this time. Bundesliga's coming back. They've been buying all these players. We've had three or four games. They've been offloading them. Now they're jumping into Premier League players, Spanish players. And you think, was that really your strategy to go and buy? have them for three games, you've probably won no PB and now you've sold for a commission loss. I think people don't think of the bigger picture. You know, when I buy someone, I genuinely plan on a minimum of six months. I'm not one of these people who buys and tries to flip quickly. Some people are very good at it, but I just don't think many people make significant money. I don't think they do the maths, if I'm being perfectly honest. And I've seen people do it. You know, they post a trade and you think, you haven't really made any money. You've made pennies. Your money would have been better off just putting it into a player and sticking with them. And you know, if you believe in your analysis of what you've done, just stick with it. Three or four games, you know, I've seen it with Gnabry. You know, loads of money went into him and then a couple of mediocre PB scores and people have started pulling it all out. And it's like, was that your strategy based on, you know, three or four games? And now you're going to pump it into Jack Grealish. If he doesn't have a good few games, where does it go next? It's great for FI because the money keeps moving. But, you know, I think some people just need to not be so scared of missing out, stick with your holds and just... Patience is key. I know people, loads of people say it, but patience really is key. I really do think that not enough traders let the market come to them. I put a tweet out the other day that you'll make the most money on Football Index that you will throughout your FI quote-unquote career is by buying a lot of players and waiting for the market to come to you rather than kind of buying into FOMO, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%, without a doubt. If everyone looks back at the first players they bought on Football Index and thought they just held those to a point in time, and you think what profit percentage they would be on if you just kept their patience. I mean, the first people I bought, I must have bought Theo Hernandez for what would be 40p new money, one of my first buys, maybe even cheaper. Kieran Tini would have been like 30p old money. And just, I must, obviously, I knew I was a new trader. I must have traded them within about a month. But now I'm more similar to standards. I will buy a player of a minimum of six months. I don't tend to do in play trades or buy off goals of the weekend unless I'm topping up. It's risky and the, the FOMO is real. If you want to look at sentiment, I did a data set recently and I was looking at the top 25 players and I kind of looked at their cash app rise in the last 12 months, six months, three months. And I kind of compared this to the dividends they won in that period. So I would kind of see how much they rose per dividend they had earned, how much it would take for 1p dividend for them to rise in cash app. And you kind of made obvious like who are the players who rose the most without needing any dividends. What this told me is that if I wanted to buy onto can I get onto this train of FOMO, I'll have bought in Mbappe and Haaland. Those are the two most obvious people who've risen the most without doing the least. 
They're not bad holds. As you can see, Jaden Sancho was a very high price holder, returning very much. And now he's one of the best holds in the index, if not the best, because he's had this massive influx of media. But it is a risk, obviously, but you can kind of analyse yields in the time periods, kind of assess who's rising appropriately and who's kind of not. And going off this data, you could kind of see that. If you actually look at the data, Jaden Sancho's rise is actually very reasonable to amount of dividends he's earned. Extremely reasonable. Going off this, I would have recommended buy Trent Rashford Sancho if you want to buy premium holds. And if you wanted to get on for the FOBO, the train, maybe just sell in about a month, I would have said Haaland and Malate. So I don't think it's actually too hard to kind of see where money's going. Not illogically, but maybe not. I don't know. I can't think of the word. <laughs> <laughs> not rashly, for sure. Yeah. But I'm not going to talk down those holds because they make a lot of money. I remember seeing Haaland at £1 at the start of the season thinking, I bet he'll be £2.50 by Christmas. And I never bought in. I kept mentioning him, kept mentioning him. Never bought in. And now look at him. I'm not going to talk down them as bad holds because there is money to be made. Status? No, I was just going to add to that. I think it's exactly right. The other thing is as well, one player goes up and then everyone starts thinking, well, he should be within 50p of him. He's now a pound off. And the next rise comes, doesn't it? The next wave. And you can almost predict it. It's quite funny. You know, you look at the, the rises of Sancho and, and Trent and that, and you knew Rashford was coming next. I said to my friend yesterday, Greenwood is the next one. You look today, Greenwood's up 35p today, and it's actually quite predictable. Yeah, it's like you could just predict the Mbappe rise, couldn't you, as soon as there wasn't like a rise in him for like a week. It's like, oh, well, he's the only premium guy that hasn't gone up. I mean, don't really know if I'm valuing him or if I see value there, but I'm just going to buy him. Why not? Exactly, yeah. There's money to be made there. Sometimes if you've got the spare cash and you're not having to instant sell a lot, yeah, you can make a lot of money there. With the sentiment thing as well, I feel like just being active in kind of like Twitter, in the Twitter community, or if you're in other things, we talk about FI, kind of gives you a good feel, kind of feel what other people think as well. You don't have to look at data to kind of get a feel of that or know that like under 23 players are kind of the hot topic the last three, four months, probably longer in terms of dethroning Pogba and Neymar. So just by watching the market and having a general feel, chance people, you can kind of get a feel for it, I feel. I think there's always that kind of like gut instinct, even if you have it, is also data, isn't it? So it's not always finger in the air, even if you think it might be. There's, there's sometimes some reasoning to even the craziest decisions. If I pale has a question here, peel, pale, oh, oh, sorry, I always get it wrong. <laughs> Do you prefer choosing players based on stats or by your judge of a player when you see him? And do either of those options ever conflict each other? Stanis, you're the data analyst. Why don't you go first on this one? I love the data, let's be honest. I'm not going to pretend I don't. So I really enjoy that side of things. When you get a gem, it's really rewarding, you know, that it pays off. But at the same time, I watch an awful lot of football. You know, I've got a season ticket. I go to 30 games a season, watch most games over the weekend. And it is fun to hold players that are playing. So I actually hold a few West Ham players who I know are really not great holds, but I kind of like them. Got a couple in my portfolio. I've had it. It's the op for ages. I've got Alaire, who I'm actually down on. But I kind of refuse to sell them because I see them play every week. There is a bit of sentiment there, you know. I have seen some good players play and you think, yeah, this guy's going to be good. With Jack Grealish, you can see he stands out in an Aston Villa team. But I have bought into him, but he hasn't done that well. I'd probably stand out well in that Villa team, to be fair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, Jordan, in advance. He's a big Villa fan. <laughs> if I had to prefer one, I would go with the stats. I think it's done me better over my FI career so far. I think, you know, if you enjoy watching football, there's no harm in picking a player you think is good. It's not hard to spot a player who's good versus someone who's not. So a mixture of both definitely doesn't hurt if you're in it for a bit of fun as well, you know, picking players who you like watching and you can relate to even the style of play. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. 
all data for me. It's interesting, isn't it? I think that watching players is data though as well. Like people forget about that, but watching a player, like you compare them to the best player you've ever seen or the best player in that position you've ever seen, you automatically can kind of gauge how good they are compared to that. It gets them on your radar watching a lot of football, obviously, and you might start to investigate, but I wouldn't buy a player based off because I think he's good. It had to be suit the PB matrix, otherwise I'm not spending money on someone who I don't think is going to make money. Sometimes I watch a player and I think, oh, he's really, really good. You know, this earlier this season, I watched Adam Atrara and I thought, wow, this guy's end product has just improved massively. And he was like 90p at the time. He wasn't putting out great numbers and I kind of rode with him. But usually the player's got to suit the PB matrix. Otherwise, I wouldn't put my money into a dead hold. Got a question here from FI Crafty. Which forms of data analysis do you feel are the most overused and underused by the FI community? The most overused, 100%, is PB average. (laughs) (laughs) How did I know that one was coming? 100%. I actually find it quite staggering how much people use it and don't. I prefer PB max. It tells you more. You kind of want to do them in together, let's be honest. You know, I wouldn't do one in isolation. But the amount of people who just pick a guy who can hit 150, 150 every week, then you look at what it takes to win any dividends and you need to be hitting, you know, 200. He's never done that. And you think he's never really going to do that because he's just a passer of the ball in midfield. He's picking up a lot of passing points. A good example as well is competition. You take Andy Robertson at Liverpool. He's got an incredible average. I think it's about 148, 49. If you rank him by defenders, it's one of the best PB averages. But of course, you've got to remember he's up against the best defender in the matrix in Trent. And I know that's reflected in the price, but it's a good example of if you just go on the average, it can be misleading. I think PB Max is a good one. You want someone who is almost like a flair player. I mean that in an FI sense. They can, you know, one week they might hit you a 30 score, but the next week they can hit you a 300. And there's a few of them around. I hold a few of them and... Do you know what they actually do quite well? If you look at over the course of a season, I would say they return as much, if not more, definitely more, than someone who's got a decent average but really isn't capable of hitting that higher score. I said I wouldn't mention Kimmich, but (laughs) that's an example that keeps coming up, isn't it? Scores so well but keeps coming second because his max isn't maybe as big as some of the other guys are capable of. Something crazy like the most 200-plus scores on the index, but I think he hasn't hit over the average goal day when he scored once. Crazy stuff like that. With the overuse, I feel like a lot of people might go in too deep their stats. I think a lot of people will like, a lot better days than me, admittedly, will go into dwell a lot into the expected passes and dwell into crosses and break down the stats a lot more. But I feel that a lot more easier to be had in having a matrix based off peak scores, top five averages, and just kind of dumbing it down a bit. So I feel like a lot less work can be done with the same result in finding these PB gems. Maybe not to the extent of sub one pound, but in the bracket of higher, it's not too difficult. We've got a question here from Kay Brown from the Discord. Carl Brown, great guy. How do you balance your enjoyment of your holds on the index with the combination of wanting to seek the highest possible returns? For example, do you hold some players at the expense of knowing they won't return as much as others, but you enjoy holding them or watching them? Stanis, you've kind of already answered this one. Yeah, I was going to say this is my West Ham players, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think this is where me and mine are different. It's, it's just your approach to the platform, really. There's nothing wrong with either. If your sole sort of aim is to make money, then of course you're not going to hold any, you know, sentimental players. I'm sort of in it for a bit of both. I find it helps me with watching games that sometimes I wouldn't show as much interest in if I've got a few players. If you're talking sensibly, you'd probably say you should just do it for the returns. I just enjoy football. So, you know, I have a few that I know don't make me loads of money. I'm not talking massive money in them. You know, 50 quid, 100 quid here and there. 
you know, miner would probably sell and would probably make more money with. So, you know, the more I talk out loud, the more I think I should probably do it. But um, <laughs> it is what it is. I think it's just part of your strategy, really, and how comfortable you are with it. For me, it's not a source of income. It's sort of a secondary thing. So there's some enjoyment to be had as well. There's nothing wrong with holding players you like. You get enjoyment out of it, like you said. There's nothing wrong. But for me, the enjoyment is getting those high returns. So it just depends on your outlook and how you really use Football Index. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, a lot of people do love this product so much that they love, you know, using it, making money on it, watching players that they own on it, like in FPL, or just enjoying holding players that they love. So there's a various different ways of enjoying the product, which is a really good point, actually, Minor. We've got one final question here from Jordan Kenny, who I shouted out earlier saying that Vidder aren't very good. Sorry about that in advance, mate. He's also on the Discord, the Fig Discord, which is obviously growing and really great so far. He says, as a data analyst, who would you see as the biggest influence in incorporating data within sport? And do you think sports analytics in football could ever become as big as sabermetrics in baseball? That's part one. I'll let you take that now, Stenners. Quite a deep question, that. No, it's good. Football data is absolutely huge in statistics. I've got a cousin. He works for a championship football club. I won't name them because he'll probably tell me off for saying this, but he works for a championship football club. He's pretty close to the top of that club. And he's told me that they have signed players who they have never, ever seen before. They've never scouted. They've never seen. No one from the club has ever seen the person in the flesh. And it's all statistics based. They've had mixed results there. They've had success. They've had one guy who then moved from the championship team to the Premier League and he's doing quite well. He's on the index. He's doing well. It just shows you the power of statistics. Some managers absolutely love it. Others, you know, are still a bit more traditional. But there's so many great sources. I mean, obviously, Opta Power a lot of this, but you go on Who Scored, Scorecard, you know, a lot of the guys I know use Sofa Score. There's a great site, I don't know if you're familiar with it, called Smarter Scout, which has got some real, real detailed analysis, scary levels of detail across all leagues in the world. It's so extensive that I almost think the amount of analysis I've done in FI at times, you could almost send it to a championship club and they could use it in real life. <laughs> and I'm sure some of them do. You know, obviously it's PB matrix versus this. But, you know, if a player is scoring well, they're doing the right things. The matrix obviously aimed at rewarding things that are done well on a football pitch. I think analysis is massive. I've never actually heard of Sabre metrics. Not really a basketball fan. Baseball. Oh, baseball. There you go. <laughs> Don't think that many people in the UK are baseball fans, to be fair, but they were kind of one of the first sports to kind of really use. I mean, I don't know if anyone's watched Moneyball before, but it's uh, cracking. Good movie. Great movie. Jonah Hill. Yeah, Jonah Hill. (laughs) (laughs) Crushing the numbers. As an economist, accountant, or slash accountant, how do you think the next 12 to 18 months will fare as football club in the top five European leagues in regard to wage transfer budgets? Do you feel this could kickstart a lot of youth progression? The Premier League has been lacking so much. It's an interesting question, but the main thing to remember when we talk about the problems companies are having during COVID is that it's due to cash flows. A company can have a strong financial statement, but if their statement or cash flow is not bringing enough cash, then they still want to go go under. They still want to have to be liquidated. So when we're assessing, kind of look at the impact, what this is going to have on the clubs around Europe, I feel like it's going to be mainly the clubs that rely on ticket sales and kind of revenue generated at the stadium on match days, which... It's going to be the clubs which suffer the most. I can't imagine billion pound, billion dollar backed owner clubs are going to struggle too much in the long run overcoming this, considering that majority of the money comes via TV revenue, which I haven't looked into, but I'm sure they'll be receiving when the Premier League's played out. There was actually just an announcement. I'll read it now. Probably about an hour ago, actually. It was 
Sky to defer PL Premier League rebate, so over £170 million until the 2021-22 season, easing cash flow for clubs and bigger transfer budgets this summer. International TV want £107 million back next month. If season curtailed, full £762 million rebate stands and 25% drop in the EFL solidarity. So Prem teams won't have to pay Sky back yet, which would give them a bit more flexibility, wouldn't it? 100%, you know, especially with a lot of global clubs. I know especially Tottenham, my club was heavily reliant on loans backing for the stadium and finance deals with that. So the main concerns, you know, the companies can sort the cash flows out and they can make sure they keep paying their staff and players keep that side of the business happy, then there shouldn't be too much impact. It's been more, I feel like in the transfer window, we might actually see a bit lower bids than you'd expect for players. I feel like more the lower end tail of the club, especially maybe lower early clubs would be more forced into selling their assets for money they would probably would ask for more. Obviously, it's hard to estimate. I haven't looked at the financial statements of all the different clubs. I don't know what their cash flow is. But I couldn't imagine having a significant impact on the transfer market longer than two two and a half years. I think that there are going to be some clubs that need to sell and they will sell and they might have to sell for a lower amount that they that they were hoping for. I mean, your Jaden Sancho's are still going to go for £100 million plus, but if you'd sold Jaden Sancho in a market where Usmane Dembele had just gone for £160 million and Coutinho had just gone for £120 million, then maybe you're looking at a bigger fee. But, you know, in the current market climate, then some of these players are going to go for maybe lower than they should have done or would have done in a more vibrant market, should we say? It's even possible that the super rich clubs might try to do more business and try and get more players while they can afford to get these players in at a cheaper price. They can afford to spend 100 million this season without having to need it for the next two seasons. Then why not get a 20 percent discount on the players they were looking at and buying? But obviously, like I said, it's hard to say. It's hard to tell the impact. You know, everyone's uncertain. The top 200 players, players play at the top clubs. I wouldn't worry too much about those clubs doing business. I hope Jordan's right and it does help some of the youth, you know, kickstart some of their progression. I think there's a lot of great players in some of these teams, you know, he likes to Phil Foden, probably a very good example, just sat there, you know, the Stockport Iniesta, and we're just waiting to see him, really. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I do think Foden's very talented, but Pep Guardiola kind of puts me off. He likes to say how amazing he is constantly and then not play him. Yeah. yeah. He says he's like the best player he's ever seen or whatever. And then he's just Suspicious, on the bench against it? like a championship team in like the third round. <laughs> it's an interesting one. But I guess players like him maybe tend to mature slightly later. They're kind of midfielder or, or number 10. So let's see. Maybe Pep's pumping. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's all we've got time for. Thanks very much both for joining me. Where can people find out more about you, Miner? I'm quite active on Index Slack. People know me as Bobby Boucher there. That's <laughs> my alias there. I'm not as active as on Twitter. What was that, Bobby? Bobby Boucher. <laughs> do, 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 do you know where it's from? No. It's an Adam Sandler movie, Waterboy. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> I'm a big movie fanatic, so I pick up a lot of movie character names I like. Fair enough. What about yourself, Stanis? Best place will be on Twitter, at StanisFI. I think a lot of people have probably followed me recently with the media stuff, but I do plan to post some spreadsheets and data and stuff and just general Twitter banter, really. <laughs> Definitely follow Stan as he's got some awesome MB insights on his page. If you guys are commuting right now, have a wonderful commute. If you're not commuting right now, shout out to the non-commute crew. If we don't get to answer all your questions, I'm really, really sorry. Sorry about that. We didn't have that much time for this one and there were already a lot of questions. Just a reminder, Football Index is a gambling platform. Only bet what you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening and have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>